0: And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to Thee, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. Well, there has been um, a lot of talk lately in the churches here in the United States uh, about revival, and there has been some interesting developments that happened as. Many of you probably know at Asbury College with thousands of students and even more people coming to that campus to seek God. And then there's um, a movie coming out, it's already come out, called Jesus Revolution. Maybe you've heard about this movie that talks about what happened in the, in the late 60s and 70s as many uh, young people who were disillusioned with the, what was happening in the 60s were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. and a whole generation of young people during that time came into the kingdom of God. So there's been a lot of talk and excitement about, about revival and rightly so. But, um, revival also brings disturbance. It's unsettling. It's unsettling to people in the church and outside of the church. I remember reading, um, about the history of revivals in school and, what some of the early revivalists went through, people like George Whitfield, this is in the 18th century, and John Wesley, founder of the Methodist movement. And these men were often assaulted uh, verbally and physically because of the message that they were bringing. And, and uh, people in the established churches, some of them didn't want to hear what they had to say, and the crowds sometimes would turn against them. In fact, there was this one time when Wesley was preaching in the open air in England. And there was a group of people who wanted to disturb the crowd that had come to see John Wesley. And they, they decided that they would take their cattle and try to get the cattle to run through the crowd and disperse the crowd. But the cattle didn't cooperate. And so they had to resort to picking up stones. And they literally were throwing stones at John Wesley... And in his journals, he talks about, he was hit, he says, I was struck right between the eyes with a stone, and I was bleeding. But he said, get this, he said, I felt no pain, and I kept on preaching the word of God. <laughs> but what was it that was at the at the heart of those revivals in the 18th century that turned people against it, that disturbed people? There were a lot of things, but one thing was this teaching that we read about in John 3. And it's the teaching of the new birth. It's the teaching of the new birth where Jesus says to Nicodemus, If you have not been born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. If you've not been born again, You cannot enter the kingdom of God. Do not marvel at this. Unless you are born again, you can't enter. You cannot inherit. You can't see the kingdom of God. So, this is a disturbing doctrine, but it's essential If you believe what Jesus says, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. And so, I just want to take some time to to look at this. Some of us are familiar with this teaching. It might be new to others. Some of us might need to be refreshed in this teaching that is so essential that apart from the new birth, we cannot see, we cannot enter into the kingdom God. Of God, We can't experience the kingdom of God now in our lives, and we will not experience the kingdom of God in eternity, in heaven. Is what Jesus is saying. So let's look at this. First of all, I want to talk about the source of this new birth. The source of the new birth. And that is, it's God. It is a work of God. God is the source. Uh, Jesus says in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now, there are things that we can do in our flesh, and by flesh here, he means uh, human ability, things that we can accomplish in our own strength. And there are many good things that we can do in accordance with, or by the power of, I should say, our human ability, our God-given ability. You know, we can, uh, through self-discipline and um, effort, we can make ourselves uh, a success in some areas of endeavor. Uh, we can accomplish important and good things through our own human striving. And I wouldn't want to take anything away from that. We can develop good good habits, And all that is is well and good, and it's important. But that's not the source of what we need spiritually, this new birth. And, And that's why this doctrine is so difficult and offensive to human pride. Because it says to us, it's not through your moral efforts. It's not through your striving to be a better person. It's not even through your religious deeds. That you're going to experience the new birth. It's got to come from God. Spirit gives birth to spirit. So it's not through human tech, it's not through some sort of meditation technique. It's not going to come through drugs. It's not going to come through chat GT or whatever it's artificial intelligence. It's got to come not from the self. Not from what a human being can produce, but from God. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Unless no one is born of water and spirit, Jesus says, uh, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Water and spirit. Now there Jesus is referring to an Old Testament passage in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25, where the prophet Ezekiel Speaking for God says to the people of Israel, I will sprinkle you with clean water and you will be cleansed from all your uncleanliness and from your idols. I'm going to cleanse you. Water, of course, represents cleansing. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, Ezekiel says. Now, how are they going to get this new heart and this new spirit? How are they going to experience this cleansing that they need so that they can turn away from the idols that are pulling at their hearts? And the key is this, in Ezekiel 36, God says, I will put my spirit within you. I will put my spirit within you so you will want to turn away from the idols and you'll want to turn to me in hope and repentance. So unless somebody is born of water in the spirit, Jesus says, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. And this is symbolizing the cleansing work of the Spirit of God. Our baptism is a sign of that. It's a sign of that. But the reality of that needs to be embraced by faith. And the reason why the new birth can't come from us is that apart from the life of God, according to the Scripture, we are spiritually dead. We are dead in our sins and trespasses, Paul says in Ephesians 2.1. You were once, he said, walking in trespasses and sin, and you were dead. You were walking, but you were like a zombie. The walking dead spiritually. You were physically alive, but spiritually dead. But, Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 2, that God has made you alive. In Christ, he's given you new life. That's where the life comes from. It comes from God. It comes from the work of the Spirit. A few weeks ago, I read an account, a first-hand account of somebody who had witnessed another man drop dead. I don't know what the occasion was, but he said in this uh, book he was writing about, he said, a, a few days ago, I watched a man in his mid-fifties fall hard to the ground because his heart and he said there were three women that went into action right away. One was a nurse and the two others were trained in CPR. And uh, one of them started doing chest compressions. Another one started to do mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. And the third grabbed some shock paddles. And they were able to bring this guy back uh, with the with this uh, CPR and the defibrillator. But he had stopped breathing His pulse was gone. And he said he was gone for about two minutes or so. And we were all just standing there in shock and horrified. But it was their help that brought him back. There's Nothing that man lying on the floor could do for himself. It had to come from the outside. You see, and that's what Jesus is saying about the new, but the help that we need, the life that we need comes from the outside. Think about the analogy he's using, you know. A a newborn babe did not contribute at all to his or her birth. We don't say good job to the baby. Well, maybe we do, but we really say good job to the mom. And that's how it is with the spiritual birth. It comes from outside of the self. It comes from God. It comes from God, the Holy Spirit. Now, what are the effects of the new birth? Or what are the characteristics of those who've received this new birth? Jesus says that the wind blows where it wills, where it wishes, and you can hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it's coming from, where it goes. So is everyone born of the Spirit. The point of this is that you cannot predict or or pin down the new birth. You can't control the wind, and you can't control the new birth. You can't pin it down exactly. And there are many Christians who've been You know, raised in the church and raised in the faith, and they cannot look necessarily to a time where they had this dramatic conversion experience. They can't exactly pin it down because they didn't have a dramatic conversion experience. They've been walking with the Lord and they never had a a major season of turning away from God. And so that's okay. The wind blows where it wills. The Spirit will act in the way He acts. According to God's sovereign will, you cannot pin down the new birth, but there are effects of the wind. There are effects of the new birth, and these things can be known. These things can be seen. Do you remember Monday? Monday was a windy day here in the St. Louis area. (laughs) A lot of blustery wind. I walked out of the gym early in the morning, and before I walked out, this lady behind me says, Patting down the hatches. It's windy out there. I walked out the door and my hat blew off. (laughs) And so I was chasing my hat around the parking lot while this lady was laughing at me. You can't see the wind visibly, but you can see the effects. You can't control it, but you can see the effects. So what are some of the effects? What are some of the characteristics of the new birth? Um, And we could talk about a range of things, but I'm going to try to be succinct here. But let me just give you some qualities of those who have experienced the new birth. Number 1, an interest in the things of God. An interest in the things of God. 2 Corinthians 2:14, Paul says the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God because they're foolish to him. He does not really he's not interested so much in the things of God does not accept the things of God because they're foolish to him. And maybe you can think, some of us can think maybe throughout our as we look back on our life, and maybe for some of us there was a period of time when we really weren't interested in the things of God, much less accept the things of God. Why would we want to waste time reading the Bible and praying and gathering with other believers and doing all things for the glory of God? And people who are without the Spirit of God look at that and say, well, that's just, you know, you're wasting your life. Because they've not experienced that life, the reality of the Spirit of God. And so it's a great act of God's mercy that he gives us this desire to know him and uh, to grow in him. So an interest in the things of God is a mark of somebody who's been born again. And then, uh, a Christ-like character, or rather, the, you could say, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is a reflection of the Spirit of Christ living in a person. And so, you know, Paul mentions this in, or actually kind of gives a list in Galatians chapter 5, of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And uh, the, it is, and I'll try to get this right without looking at my notes here. You can help me, because some of you probably have this memorized. But there's one I always forget, so I'll see if I can remember Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Did I get them right? <laughs> I always forget faithfulness. But those are the marks of somebody who has the Spirit of God living in them. A loving person. A patient person, a gentle person, a person who has self-control. And um, this is something that grows over time, isn't it? Does fruit appear all at once on a tree? No. How long does it take, for example, for an apple tree to begin to produce fruit after the seed's been planted in the ground? I looked this up for the standard apple tree. It can take six to ten years from the time that the seed is planted and you start to see the fruit. So that tells me, friends, that we need to be patient. We need to be patient with ourselves. We need to be patient with other people, especially younger Christians, especially newer Christians. Patient with them, patient with ourselves, prayerfully patient. Prayerfully patient. Asking God to increase in us The fruit of the spirit in our lives, especially in those areas where we say, "Okay, I know I need to be more patient. I know I need more self-control. Help me, God, in this area and he will help us grow. But that's the the mark of the fruit of the spirit. That's the mark of the spirit's indwelling. Rather, it is the fruit of the spirit. Now, a third mark of the spirit of the new birth is a love of Christ. This should be obvious. The, the, the work of the Spirit is to bring us to Christ, to help us see our need for Christ, and to give us a love of Christ. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, He said to His opponents, those who were looking, they, they, they saw, as Nicodemus says, we see the miracles. We are, we are seeing these signs. And there were people who saw the signs. They saw the miracles. They saw what God was doing. Don't think just because you see something... That means that you will believe it just because you were able to see. Some people say, if I could have only seen Jesus' miracles, I would have believed in him. Well, there were people who saw the miracles of Jesus and they still did not believe. And Jesus said to them, the reason is, your father is not God because you don't love me. If God were your father, you would love me for I came from God. If God was your father, if you had this, New birth that God gives you. You would love me, you would recognize who I am, because I'm from God. And that's the work of the Spirit. One of the roles, one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is for is to help us see the loveliness of Jesus and the glory of Jesus. And Paul says it like this, it's in 2 Corinthians 3. He talks about this veil that covers people's faces. But then this veil is removed that enables people to see the glory of Jesus, the loveliness of Jesus. And he says that is the work of the Spirit. Nicodemus knew that Christ was a miracle worker. He knew that Christ was a great teacher. He calls him rabbi. He had some measure of respect for Jesus. But he wasn't born again. With all of his religious attainments and position and status. He needed to be born again just like the prostitutes and the tax collectors. What a humbling message Jesus is saying to this great teacher of Israel. You must be born again. Jesus, Nicodemus had not seen his need for Christ. He had not yet experienced the love of God for him in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus... Tells him what he needs. How about you and me? Do we love Christ? Do we see the glory of God in Christ? Are we recognizing there's some the work of the Spirit in our life? Do we recognize the mark of the new birth in our life? Now, I've given some characteristics of the new birth. I've pointed this out that we cannot produce it ourselves. It comes from God, the Holy Spirit. Flesh gives Rise to flesh, flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. But does that mean that there's nothing we can do, or nothing that, that anyone can do to receive the new birth? Are we just to be passive? No. There is something we can do. And Jesus teaches us here, as this chapter unfolds, he begins to explain God's plan of redemption. God's plan of salvation. And he gets, of course, to the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. And he says, As the Son of Man is lifted up, as Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness, so that the people who looked on that serpent would be healed from the judgment of God, so the Son of Man is going to be lifted up. And everyone who looks upon the Son of Man, Jesus, will be saved. For God so loved the world... Those who want to know the love of God, those who want to experience the love of God, can look to Calvary, can look to the cross, and they can know the love of God for them. Whoever believes in Him, whoever puts their trust in Jesus Christ, lifted high on the cross, that He did that for me, that He died for my sin, they will be given eternal life. And so there is something that we can do. We can go to Jesus. We can go to Jesus and we can tell our friends to go to Jesus. And that's where you'll find the life that you need. That's where you'll find the forgiveness that you need. That's where you'll find the hope that you need. We can go to Jesus, you see. It's like this. Charles Hodge, an old Presbyterian theologian, said it's like this. He said, you know, the people who came to Jesus to be healed, the blind and the deaf, they could not heal themselves. That's why they went to Jesus. Their understanding of their condition brought them to the one who could heal them, who could give them new eyes and new ears. And once they got to Jesus, he did not turn them away. And they were healed by Jesus. They did not heal themselves, but they knew the one who could heal them. And so they went to Jesus. And he brought about this salvation, new eyes, new ears. And that's what Jesus does. He makes us new. And so, as, as we think about this teaching that Jesus gives us in John 3 and that He gave Nicodemus, let's let's consider where we're at with it as we draw to a close here. Now, can you thank God for the new life that He's given you in Jesus Christ? Um. Can you thank God for the life that He's given you, the hope that He's given you, the promises that He's given you in Jesus Christ? Are you thankful that He's a patient gardener? He's growing fruit. He's pruning us. He's patient. I'm thankful for the patience of Christ. Aren't you today? So, are you thankful? It is right to give Him thanks and praise. We say this in our liturgy. And so, today, some of you might want to do that. To give thanks to God for this new life He's given you. You could not do it. We could not have it apart from His grace. But maybe we want to be renewed in this new life. Maybe we can honestly say, as we think about those marks of somebody who has given new life, an interest in the things of God, the fruit of the Spirit, seeing the glory of Christ, maybe some of us can say that those things are beginning to to, to slack in my life and that the, the, the an interest in the things of the world are beginning to supersede my interest in the things of God and that there are things that I am pursuing, types of glory and satisfaction outside of Christ and so I need to be renewed in this life that God has given me. Maybe that's you today and you can pray for that and you can pray for me because i see those things in my life it's a constant battle we're prone to wonder lord i feel it prone to leave the god i love take my heart lord take and seal it for thy courts above and maybe today could be a time of bringing ourselves to the lord as we come to the table of renewal renew this life in me maybe there's somebody hearing this who says you know what I've never really heard this before. This is all new to me. You know, I'm a Christian. I, I've considered myself a Christian because if you give me a religious survey and say, what, what are you? Muslim, Jew, Hindu, atheist, agnostic, Christian, I'll mark Christian because that's, that's how I've been raised. Um, but as you honestly consider what's going on inside of you, There's not a love. There's not a joy. There's not a peace. Jesus is not really the love of your life. And if that's you today, hear what Jesus says. You must be born again. You must be born again. And you can look to Christ in faith and repentance and ask Him to forgive you and to fill you with His Spirit. And this seed will be planted in your heart. And God will make it grow. So many people, friends, today need what only God can give. The life that only God can give. We're seeing it over and over, especially with our young people. There was a survey that came out from the CDC a week or so ago, which talked about young teenage girls and the growth of their desire. So many of them, and I won't get the numbers right, but I think it was like 25% or so, of these survey of those surveys said they had considered suicide. These are young teenage girls. You see, the world has said, this is what you need to be happy. And they are trying that. And it's like if you said, you know what, I just love to eat cookies and ice cream and drink soda and that's going to be my steady diet. It feels good for a season, but in the end it's going to kill you. And the world has said this is the diet that you need to be happy. And they're finding it's not happiness that they're getting. That's not the fruit. And so they need this life that only God can give. There is a link, friends, between joy and Jesus, between happiness and the holiness that God offers. And it's found in Christ. So let's pray that the Holy Spirit will soften our hearts and the friends, the hearts of our friends and our family, that they would sense their need. And go to Jesus. Let's pray. We thank you, God, for the new life that you offer us in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for that work that you've done in our lives. Many of us can testify to that. To witness to the new life. This act of mercy and grace that you have given to us. Help us to be renewed in that life through the Holy Spirit. And help us, God, to have a heart for those who don't know this to lift high the name of Jesus and point people to the hope that can satisfy them. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.